This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am fired up for today because, and I, I say that often on the show, but like today I'm in flames because I we've got Lauren Siegel on the program. Lauren Siegel, this is a this is a big get for our show. Fantastic episode, the famous Lauren Siegel. Yeah, president of Kingswood Properties, founding chair of We Day Vancouver, chair of Coast Mental Health, Courage to Come Back Awards. We're obviously bringing them on the show because uh, Kingswood. The Kingswood. Uh, yeah, the Kingswood, Kingswood Properties, the many developments that Lauren has taken on throughout Vancouver. Obviously, one of the biggest developers in the city. Super exciting to have Lauren on the program. You know what? It's it's so exciting. And it's exciting for kind of a different reason than a lot of our other really big and exciting guests, you know. We came with kind of our regular questions to kind right. of pepper Lauren about. And and what happened, in you fact, know, was... Under prepare, under deliver. That's it, our motto it, ex- Exactly. You know, and, and we didn't even get to tell us about yourself. And the conversation had already started. And luckily, we just hit record and, and it just went. And what I would say is this conversation is more philosophical than most we have. Sure. It, it's about real estate. It's about the craft. It's about passion. Yes. It's about finding meaning in your life. It's, it's a lot of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Craft, passion, obsession. I would say I really took away from this. I got to understand my why better. That, that's it. And, and Kerr, and obviously what I took away from this was Lauren definitely understands his yeah. and his philanthropic work. Right. Kind of merges with what he does in the real estate world and in his personal life in this really interesting way. Sure. Uh, it, it's kind of a cohesive philosophy and it kind of comes through, through many different stories and some very funny stories, very funny. One of the best stories I think I've heard actually like just in conversation in my life comes out of this podcast. It involves Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Not just, not just like on the show, but I've, I've tried to retell that story. I, I don't do it justice, but, and you can tell Lawrence told it a few times cause it meanders, but it's, it's a great, great, oh, man. It, it's, great story. it's great. So, so yeah, just a heads up. It is the flow of it is a little different than normal. We jump right into it. We uh, jump it, it right just, into talking about charitable work and then it just, it goes and uh, you're going to really love to be uh, brought on this ride with us. So uh, stay tuned for that. But before we get to that episode, Matt, we have a new sponsor this week. That's right. We have a new sponsor. That is Hawkeye Wealth. Founder Justin Smith, of course, past guest fan favorite. Friend been on of the, the show, show a number of times. Fantastic, fantastic guy. Fantastic company. Hawkeye Wealth helps their clients invest in various private real estate investments, such as residential and industrial development projects with an aim to diversify their portfolios and achieve better risk-adjusted returns than they would find elsewhere. Yes. If you would be interested in learning more or would like to be notified of upcoming opportunities, and Justin is a deal finder, we'll say that 
Visit HawkeyeWealth.com. Some would say he has a bit of a Hawkeye. What about Oakland, our sponsor oh. number two? Sponsor number two. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. Head over to Oakland.com. This is our brokerage, of course, best brokerage in the city. Oakland.com slash join type in VRP 2020. Of course, this is for new agents, aspiring agents, people just looking to make a change in the real estate agent world. Lots of resources, lots of energy. Oakland.com slash join type in VRP 2020. You get to meet all the big wigs at Oakland, which is, which is great. I've changed it up. We're talking about big wigs, <laughs> but you also get a huge incentive for heading to Oakland.com slash join type in VRP 2020. I love it. Before we get to that though, Matt, you told me, I, I just, I can't help but bring this up. You are a formula one fan now. And, and <laughs> I, and I should say it's, it's a little different than NASCAR because you're dressed NASCAR, but you like F1. <laughs> I talk NASCAR. You talk NASCAR, F1. you watch F1. No, so this is, we were talking about this a bit just earlier because you were at your barbers. Yeah, man, actually, I got I to gotta give these guys a shout out, even though I'm probably going to de-cool this, uh, this, this barbershop. This is the anti-sponsorship. This, <laughs> this is... There's going to be a lawsuit for, for making them less cool, but give me a, it's called a boombox barbershop, uh, was where I've been getting my haircut and, uh, they're, they're pretty awesome. But the big thing about it is reason number one to like them is they've got to do the right thing poster. It's a Spike Lee joint, isn't it? That is a Spike Lee joint. Yeah. But also they always have like these, I don't know where they're getting the feeds for their various sports that they're playing right. throughout. But today I was watching like the final game in the Africa Cup of Nations soccer or football, depending on uh, who you talk Politics, to. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it was phenomenal. And then, and then I come back to the office and you're talking about how you're obsessing about my, well, here, I F1. feel like, well, F, <laughs> F1, but also just, I wonder what's going on here. Cause is it men of a certain age or I feel like I kind of was, it's, I think it's, it's I was, busyness. I was yeah, maybe big into sports when I was a kid. And then I kind of left for years, really not caring that much. And now it's become like almost an obsession to always be watching. Like, I, and I think I've talked about it before, like golf, tennis, hockey, like I'm always interested in following along, but now I've gotten to on prime, you know, now that Yellowstone's over all or nothing. So this is like a behind the scenes following of different sports teams across different leagues. I'm so it's watching almost like the Jordan documentary. I'm watching like the all blacks, but it's like, you know, stuff I know nothing about. No, it's like the behind the scenes. They follow them. You're for a watching season. Aussie. Flip. I watched the 2015 Arizona Cardinals behind the scenes NFL season, which was unbelievable. Like you right. get the coaches yelling and the pump up Maybe speeches. Maybe you just and, need a good pep talk. Well, here's the thing. And now I've moved on to Netflix formula one, which I can't even recall what this it's a, like I'm going to Montreal next yeah. year. Interesting. Formula One is now, I, who knew? Who knew? Well, probably a lot of people. Actually, it's, it's like it's in the like top a, 10 on Netflix. <laughs> it's also like a, a global yeah. sport. It's like FIFA. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? Who knew? But anyway, well, I'm, I'm feeling like my wife is... Um, uh, not a fan? Not a fan of any of it. And she's actually like, what happened to you? Yeah. Uh, you used to like foreign films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is no more E2 Mama Tambien. <laughs> Uh, this is this is uh, straight, straight up F one. Uh, There's only so many times you can watch that movie. Well, here's the thing: if you need a good pep talk for your real estate journey, we've got you covered today because no this kidding. is a fantastic conversation. I can't wait for people to listen to this. I can't wait for the feedback from the VRep community because none other than Lauren Siegel chats with us today. This is a great one. Turn it up. Enjoy.
by the way, uh, another hat I wear sort of on the, uh, you know, non-business side, the uh, charity side, uh, do a, a lot of stuff related to that. But I'm also uh, the long-term chair. I think it's my 17th year of something called the uh, Courage to Come Back Awards, Coast Mental Health Courage to Come Back Awards. And, you know, mental health, as you know, uh, having been through this terrible uh, pandemic has uh, been a topic of conversation. You know, when I started that journey, which recognizes the uh, triumph over adversity of, you know, five individuals. We're just going through the process now, uh, re-engages, uh, uh, you know, about 80 people like yourself in the community to judge this process. We have a call for nominations, and ultimately there are five individuals who really touch bottom in, you know, in five different areas and uh, have not only come back, but who are now uh, contributing to uh, society in extraordinary ways. I mean, these are the real... Uh, heroes. So, you know, things like that, that also kind of inform you on, uh, you know, what life means and, you know, what you want to get out of life, what's important, you know, it really has an impact on your uh, value uh, perspective. You know, as uh, Churchill said way back, one of my favorite quotes, uh, you know, you make a a living by uh, what you get and you make a life by what you give. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of truth to that. You know, when you find your passion in life, when you find that thing that's outside of yourself or bigger than yourself, that, that means something to you, uh, you know, life kind of takes on a different uh, perspective. So, um, you know, this is not real estate, but it's a uh, part of life. And I think uh, informs me to a great extent on, uh, you know, the approach to take with projects and the value proposition to a consumer. Because so many, um, you know, if you look at things from an architectural perspective, there's the tendency, especially with the uh, the greatest architects, to want to do something that becomes art. And that's important. But the really challenging part of uh, development is is the functional side, to really... You know, to follow what Louis Sullivan said back in 1918, you know, form, actually what he said was form ever follows function. We, you know, commonly heard the term form follows function, but wow, it's a really easier said than done. So, you know, everything (laughs) we do, you know, really is based on that idea. And I'm like, I'm going to say obsessed with the functional side of things, because I believe whether someone's going to, you know, be spending, uh, you know, buying something at the lower or more affordable end of the market, let's say like Squamish, just, you know, value, not cheap, but just, you know, value or the opposite end of the continuum, like 1515 or, you know, the 1700 block Heather Wolf, that person deserves the same approach. Absolutely. So we go back to the Kingswood building way back that early journey. If you, if you've seen anything related to that, you know, let's look at that or 1515 is a collection of 10 carat diamonds. You know, you look at something like Redbridge is a collection of one carat diamonds, but still diamonds. You know, it's not uh, dumbed down because it's at the more affordable end of the market. And I think that's part of why that project also has been such a success against the odds without any precedent. I'm going to say yeah, that's some kind of, I, I feel like the story of my life is one of, um, swimming upstream, I feel most of it, you know, like someone says, actually, there were probably four words which define most of what I've done. Let's go back to the Kingswood 20 years ago or Redbridge. And those four words would be, let me think, uh, it 
can't be done. It can't be done. And then we'd sort of systematically say, well, let's think about that because I think it can. Let's see how we get there. And, you know, when you take that approach and everyone, you know, you start with, let, let's say like a cake. Okay, you've got, and real estate's no different than making a cake, really, different ingredients. But let's say, you know, you start with the finest ingredients. You take those ingredients, if it's a cake, and you give it to someone who doesn't know what they're doing, like me, with a cake, you end up with a disaster. You give it to a Michelin three-star chef, and you get this, you know, mouth-watering, you know, culinary wonder. Well, same thing with real estate. It's quite interesting. Uh, you can give the same ingredients, the same materials, the same things to different people, and you end up with different products. Same thing, different result. I mean, you can have a great location, do the wrong thing. You can do the right thing in the wrong location. It's a really complicated process of trying to get that synergy of getting everything right. And if you can, and if you do, like some of the projects we're speaking about, take Redbridge and Squamish, you have a setting that is an oasis. You know, I'm going to go back if I can to Redbridge and say that journey started 10 years ago. And I didn't really know what I was getting into. I was driving through Squamish like most of us do, uh, on my way to Whistler, bypassing the city. And one day I stopped (laughs) and I I came across this piece of property and then I was looking for an opportunity and I went to the uh, mayor and uh, the planner, which is what you do when you're starting in a new town and you say you're open for business and they say, yes, we are, but we can't tell you anything about absorption because no one's really done anything here in the, you know, prior to you of any sort of scale or uh, significance, I'm going to say. So now you scratch your head, you know, you're in this business and you scratch your head, there's no precedent. So here we go back to the uh, kind of swimming upstream. Okay. So then you ask yourself, what's the deal? Is it that no one wants to live here or is it that nobody has addressed the issue in the right way or no one's done the right thing? So that people would say, Hey, Squamish. I never knew. So I I said, I chose the latter, that the issue was not that people didn't want to live there, but that no one has really told the story in the right manner. So I look around and I see, uh, I'm going to say an embarrassment of riches. You just stand in any spot in Squamish, you look around and you see God's country. uh, God's creation. You see, you know, the most beautiful nature. You see you know, the, as they call it, the recreation capital of Canada, the, the best hiking, biking, windsurfing, rock climbing. The worst view you have is is of a tree. I mean, how often <laughs> is that? Is that the case? You know, the remember the old song, they paved paradise, put up a parking lot. That's probably before your time. Joni Mitchell, a lot of truth. You know, most urban centers uh, consist of that. You know, they are uh, well, you know, uh, I mean, if you're lucky enough, you you live near a park, but Redbridge is an oasis. It's a an extraordinary setting, an enclave unto itself. So now you put the pieces together, and I said to myself, okay, uh, here we go again. We're going to have to not just tell the story of a project, Redbridge in this case, but we're going to have to tell the story of Squamish. And, and I believe that there will be a new conversation 
happening around the dinner table if we tell the story right. So the people would be saying to themselves, uh, honey, Squamish, I never knew. Let's think about that. And so that's what we did. We put a product. Well, first of all, you go back and you say, okay, what's the story going to be? And every location has a different story, especially if you're especially if you're pioneering. Listen, you're the second guy in, the third guy in. Someone has kind of started the story, the first chapter, and you're adding chapters. Well, when you're writing the first chapter, you want it to be compelling. You want people to kind of stand up and say, um, wow. But, you know, how do you get to wow? I mean, wow is a kind of carefully calculated, I'm going to say like a manipulation of human emotion. You're trying it, but with any product, you do things that you hope will elicit a reaction. And I believe that not just in real estate, but in life, when you want to achieve something, when, especially when you're pioneering, and I'm going to say, listen, I don't want to be the kind of pioneer that's got an arrow on his back, you know, that kind you know, I'm not talking about that kind of pioneering. I'm talking about sort of thoughtful, you know, uh, premeditated understanding of how you believe people will think. And, and, you know, we tend to think that people are like laboratory rats. We talk about them or these kind of like this unknown entity, but they're, they're you, they're me, they're we're all the same. Really, you just have to kind of uh, open people's hearts, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. When we are moved by something, when we have a visceral reaction to something, that's when we take action. The rest of the time, we kind of say, ah, you know, I don't need it. Maybe I want it. Maybe I don't. But to get to the point where with real estate, and you know, it's all about emotion, especially residential real estate. You want to get to the point where someone says, ah, you know, I not, not only do I need something, I really want this and I can afford it. So, you know, the, as I see it, we all have limits. All of us have a limit on, let's say, what we want to pay for something. So we have this, here's what it costs. Here's what I want to pay. And if you could see my hands, you know, you, of course, what it costs is, higher than what you want to pay. And so we live in this with everything, not just real estate. We live in this, uh, trying to justify this gap, as I see it, between what we want to pay, what something costs. And so we have to make the decisions most of the time, and I'm speaking for, I believe, all of us, as to why we should stretch. Why should we pay that that you know, why should we get past that pain point of what we want to pay and what it costs so that in the end you say, you know what, that was the best money I ever spent. Mm -hmm. That's where the visceral reaction comes in. That's where I think things have to be, uh, you know, there has to be an emotional reason, whether it's, um, you know, let's call it a functional piece of art in the case of real estate, where you're moving into just basic commodity to something that can change your life. So Redbridge, if I can speak about that, because that's, you know, a kind of this is what I'm talking about is sort of a kind of a culmination of a of a philosophy where I believe the elements, all of the elements that make a human being are incorporated into the project. 
so I'm talking body, mind, spirit. How often is it that you can do something that will cater to the body, the mind, and the soul? So you have an environment that uh, I'm going to look up and I'm going to say, thank you, God, for 90% of that because I didn't create that. The team didn't create it. That was God-given. But listen, you know, we, we, we can take a lot of things that, you know, God or spirit, whatever you believe in, has given to us. And, you know, you see how the world can destroy that, too. I mean, we're seeing it with climate change, et cetera. So you've got this pristine environment, a proverbial diamond in the rough. Now, what do you do with it? Now you've got to say, what's the best way to address this issue? Now, I have some personal philosophies in life, certain, you know, health practices, some things that are aspirational and not there yet, but I'm aware of and incorporating them into my own life. But I believe that holistic human being wants something that will kind of have it all. So at Redbridge, we have something called Basecamp. And Basecamp, trademark name, is uh, is our name for the amenity, which is 20,000 feet of indoor-outdoor living. And it is catering to that body-mind-spirit. So what is it? It's a, It would be like having a membership to, let me say, the Vancouver Club, in Vancouver, prestigious club, to a Y yoga through the uh, yoga facility, to a WeWork for the co-creative space, to the uh, Scandinavian spa for the uh, indoor-outdoor cold hot pools that are incorporated, and the far-infrared sauna and red light therapy rooms, which no one has heard of, but red light is, uh, you'll be hearing a lot about the impact of red light at a particular frequency that really can uh, add a lot of health benefits to a person's life. And people are going to have the opportunity to use the red light therapy rooms. I don't think that has ever been incorporated into a project. I'm going to add one other component, the, um, let's call it uh, Equinox Gym, which, you know, people may have heard of. And the gym, which we call, and a trademark, the Eco Movement Lab, what is that fancy name? But what it refers to uh, is a gym where the human kinetic energy, people's movement, in other words, is translated into power. So you're going to be able to get on a treadmill. We have special machines that have been chosen to do this. And you're going to, um, or an elliptical or a rowing machine, and this will channel your energy back into the grid, which will end up powering the uh, fans and the lights and put energy back into the system so that the gym, in fact, will be, uh, I'm told at this point, the uh, first uh, zero carbon footprint gym in Canada, maybe North America. We all want to do something to make a difference. Most of us, and I'm guilty of this most of my life, until you figure out something, that passion I was talking about, we all want to do something, but we just don't know what to do, you know, because we think that it's got to be this really big thing, you know, to make a difference. So we do nothing at all. So here at the, at the eco movement lab, you can get on a treadmill and at the end, it's going to say congratulations, maybe not these exact words, it's all being programmed now. It'll say congratulations, you know, you've just saved a tree or you saved this amount of gas or you've just generated this amount of power. 
and you'll feel good not only about what you did for yourself but the, but about what you did for the planet so this is what i'm speaking about here is a kind of a very sort of deep level of thinking as to what the next big thing is going to be we've just been through this pandemic i mean who would have thought i'm not even sure it's going to be the last thing that hits us as a human species but i think that we have all had to think about the next chapter of our life i've certainly done that and if we've gone through this and haven't made some positive decisions or some good decisions about how we want to live how ephemeral life is i think it would have been a wasted pandemic for lack of better words so let's go back to squamish now all of a sudden you have people saying what is my life worth i believe what do i want to do with the resources i have what's the value of the money in the bank and of course i have to be responsible but maybe this is the time where i can if i can afford it choose to live where i'd like to play how often do you get to do that and now you know this ability to maybe work remotely the way the workforce is changing i think this is going to be some kind of a hybrid permanent uh, change and so with more people having that flexibility you get a chance to say you know what let it be near me but not with me you know the famous saying i'll be close to vancouver I don't need to be in the heart of the city. I don't need to pay those kinds of prices unless, you know, I want to. And if I have to commute, I get to do it on one of the most beautiful, uplifting, transcendental experiences, the Sea to Sky Highway in the world. In fact, I think National Geographic has pegged it as one of the 10 most scenic drives in the world. And I, I think we've used that uh, quote in the, uh, in the Red Bridge um, a book. So it, it's a choice. It, it's a new choice. So, you know, back to the beginning, why do you do it? You can wait, let someone else pave the way, or you can have a kind of a courage of conviction, uh, a belief, you know, and be sort of true to yourself. Do I really believe in what I'm doing here? Or am I just going through the motions? Or do I really believe that there's some kind of value proposition? You know, it's not the first. I mean, you look at a guy like Elon Musk and so many of the others who, you know, people thought they were crazy. You know, I'm not talking about a rocket ship <clears throat> right now. We're talking about real estate. But still, it's kind of like, uh, I'm going to say, maybe sort of the real estate equivalent of going into, uh, a, you know, unknown territory where, uh, you know, sort of not quite no man, but, you know, not that many people had gone before. Right. You know, the, well, space terms, Star Trek, the next frontier. I actually believe that Squamish was that sort of, you ask yourself, why is it sort of the last bastion, kind of the, uh, the next or maybe the last frontier? What is it? Had it avoided the growth that every other place experienced over the last uh, 10 years. And, and a big part of the answer was to kind of finish that chapter was that it was also very challenging to get something through because you've got a community that's uh, rooted in forestry. And it was believed that there were still people on council, 
you know, it's taken for this project uh, five councils, five mayors to get through things because they, and so do we, want controlled growth. But there were still some people who believed that forestry was going to return to the to the town. And so, you know, growing pains, it's hard sometimes to grow up and, um, you know, evolve. It takes time. But now the story is different from when um, I first started that uh, journey. So, so Lauren, I feel like there's, um, you know, maybe we could do 70 podcasts unpacking what you were just talking about, (laughs) but, but one thing that jumps out at me and we're kind of going about this a little bit backward than we, than we usually do, but you Mm. kind of highlighted a lot of the things that we've come to love about real estate, right? Like you're talking about Mm. early on baking a cake, kind of the, the design element, the thoughtful designs. Mm. You, you've talked about finding opportunities in this case in Squamish. You've talked about marketing, right? Creating the story and the narrative and kind of making people see uh, what they may not realize they want. <laughs> Stretching and, and kind of how yes. how you, the, the economics of it and, and that kind of component of marketing. I guess thinking about all these things, you know, and how mm. exciting it is, like, how did you get into mm. real estate? Did you see all of this? early on, kind of when you were thinking, what what do I want to do with my life? Why real estate? And I feel like you kind of outlined anyone listening that is thinking about real estate is probably now thinking, I want to do this because it kind of encapsulates everything, right? But but how did you get your start in real estate? Okay. So that's going back a long ways. Uh, well, real estate was not always at the forefront of my life. In fact, I went to school in, in England. I was actually doing some graduate work in, in the area of law. I didn't want to be a lawyer, but that was kind of the, uh, the thing to do. I was at a very uh, good school, and I it used the um, tutorial, uh, the Socratic method. You know, you'd meet with a tutor. I happened to have two sessions a week. Twice a week, you'd meet with a tutor, and on a one-on-one basis, and he'd give you an essay topic, and you'd You'd walk away and you'd have to read a thousand pages, cases, original cases, and then write a an essay. And then you'd sit down a few days later with him and you'd read the essay in front of him. And he'd say, you know, why'd you say this? And why'd you say that? And it was very different from the North American classroom where you'd be in a class with uh, several hundred people, at, uh, in this case, uh, UBC, in uh, undergrad work. And so... In order to get through those tutorials, I used to walk the streets of the university, and this was uh, uh, this was Oxford, so it was full of the most incredible architecture you can imagine. The city of spires, it's known as. You know, they had almost like it was like a Harry Potter setting. If you you know you've seen Harry Potter, you'd go to the dining hall, and it looks just like that. And there are portraits of all these uh, incredible people who had been there and have changed the world and you can't but be inspired and there was i used to sit in this one spot and there was a portrait of a an individual called christopher wren maybe one of the greatest architects who ever lived and had done the sheldonian theater all of the sort of key buildings in england so you'd walk around and and I got more inspired by architecture than law i'm just trying to find some inspiration in the early morning, you know, like two, three in the morning, so I could get through that tutorial and uh, and say something 
you know, intelligent, you know, because you can't hide when it's one-on-one. And, and so the vision, in fact, of the Kingswood building, which we didn't speak about, which was kind of the beginning, let's say, of this very, you know, kind of complicated end of the uh, development uh, business, not the very beginning, but the vision of that particular building it started to incubate my mind and I couldn't get rid of it. You know, sometimes in life, you know, we get these things pop into your mind and you, you think about it, you go to sleep, you think about it, you don't know why it's there, maybe. And sometimes we just dismiss it and sometimes it, it pops back up and we kind of got to figure out what's the purpose. Why is that there? What is this meant to be? And sometimes you don't know and I didn't know, but I couldn't get rid of that image. So, you know, I was just a kid, my early 20s and that image stayed with me for 20 years until the opportunity came to actually realize this very specific vision in its actual form. So I put together a team. I'm fast forwarding a little bit because, you know, there's still the journey to figure out what is real estate and what is development and uh, actually spent time on the brokerage end of things. I wanted to, you know, doing what you're doing, sitting in open houses and, uh, and asking myself, you know, especially on the condominium side, like, why did this developer do this? You know, you're asking a whole bunch of questions and it's, it's the, you know, the school of Fort Knox, as they say, you know, you're looking at real world stuff and you can't assume that just because you're looking at something that it's necessarily correct, but you don't really know. So you start developing your own thoughts if you're a very deliberate thinker. And so the time came where I had this broad dream of uh, one day wanting to do a building, to build a building, just kind of like a broad thing. What would you like to do in life? You want to be a tennis player? You want to be an athlete? You want to what do you want to do? So the idea of creating a building, some building, the development business, I guess, was a a desire. I thought that's something that I could do and maybe even do well. And so the time came for the Kingswood. I've got this burning like vision I can't get out of my mind. And so I said, all right, I'm going to set myself up. So I, in fact, uh, set up kind of a for the Kingswood, an architectural practice had several architects, a team of like 20 different students who would come in on a revolving basis, a lot of them from Waterloo University, saying, I hear the, you know, there's some real architecture happening at Kingswood. And we started work on the Kingswood because I said to myself, this building's going to need full-time attention. We're going to have to go back to the way things were done, you know, hundreds of years ago where, you know, the architects would work on one thing from beginning to end. And that's what we did. And it proved to have an insatiable appetite for information. We were detailing like all the way through construction. You know, if, if you took the skip hoist down to the parking level, it's on the, the Kingswood's on almost a whole city block in, in Vancouver, uh, across from the Vancouver Lawn Tennis Club. Right, right. And if you took the skip hoist down, the parkade was a factory that we set up to create the Kingswood. So we had a fireplace division. We had a guy cutting stone for a year and a half. We had a an old English plaster mason making plaster domes by hand that went into the building. You know, I I asked myself at the beginning, why doesn't anyone do any like traditional architecture anymore? Well, I, I realized 
the hard way why no one does anything <laughs> like this. You know, it is really complicated because now when you're dealing with traditional architecture like the Kingswood, which is kind of an unprecedented blend of contemporary and traditional, there are rules and regulations with regard to like window proportions. Contemporary architecture is more giving. When you've got floor-to-ceiling glass, it's not quite the same as having to have a uh, a window upstand where maybe you want to put a dresser. And then, you know, every time you get the inside right, you look at the outside and you say, oh, my God. And then you go back to the inside and it's back and forth. And so I'm going to say I probably went through, I'd come home. I had my son at that time. I didn't know him for the first four years because I was marking up plans about, I'm going to say about 10,000 pages, you know, full-size architectural plans with I don't know how many red pens I went through and I'd take it to the office and the team would work on the next round of comments. And then I'd, I'd come home with them. We had our printers. We'd print these plans out at full, you know, architectural scale. I'd take them home. I'd work on them again. And it was like that for five years until I said, when there isn't a red mark left on the plan, it'll be ready. And I'll stand or fall on the basis of that very personal interpretation of what constitutes, in this case, elegant, gracious living. Because someone has to take a position on the interpretation with all these projects, you know, the the high end, the low end. There are very important decisions. You're, You're telling people basically how to live. And that's a huge responsibility I take, you know, when we do a, a set of presentation plans, you know, I obsessed with the idea that those plans are um, accurate and that structure and mechanical and all the things that might impact that space are pre-thought. So even though you have, as a developer, you know, you have the usual disclaimers that, you know, the developer reserves the right to make modifications because these things happen in the real world. Sometimes there's, uh, you know, we discovered something the other day, a mechanical uh, shaft that hadn't been accounted for that impacted the space slightly. And so I say, okay, I don't have to say anything, but I'm going to go back to the people who bought that particular suite and say, you know, they've lost uh, uh, a few inches, nothing material, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I feel this kind of moral obligation. So, I mean, back to the Kingswood for a moment. I read a book in, in 1992. I was just kind of getting going on the Kingswood, thinking about doing it. And I read a book that was written by uh, Prince Charles, <clears throat> His Royal Highness, you know, uh, it, it, that he wrote in 1989 called A Vision of Britain. And it was about him basically lamenting the loss of traditional architecture. And and how people were coming in and doing these very awful contemporary structures that maybe looked like, you know, military pillboxes next to beautiful Victorian buildings. And and he made a statement about a um, an addition, a modern addition, kind of like what happened um, with the Louvre, you know, the pyramids at the Louvre in France, uh, you know, the public <laughs> went uh a lot of the public, you know, was incensed by this imposition of modern architecture on something like the Louvre, classic uh, building. And then people grew to, I think, love it and accept it. But change sometimes is very difficult to deal with, you know, because we get used to kind of uh, the same old thing. So anyway, there was a, a modern addition being added to the National Gallery. And so he um, made a statement that was kind of like a shot that 
was heard around the world. Uh, and he said it was a monstrous carbuncle on the face of a much loved friend, I think were the words. And, uh, and so the, uh, the modern architects were enraged and, uh, the public was on his side. And then the BBC went in and started to do a series called a vision of Britain, where they would go into different towns and talk to people and the public loved what the Prince had said. And they were on his side and not the whole architectural community agreed with them, but he's a very outspoken person on uh, the built environment, actually a pioneer in a lot of uh, ways with organic farming, et cetera. And I, you know, I happen to be a, a fan of some of his thinking. So I read his book and he's outlining 10 principles of traditional architecture. And I'm saying, oh my gosh, you know, like he's got to be aware that there's someone listening to, uh, to what he's saying, and in fact, is executing on these principles. And uh, he needs to be aware that, you know, that he's got someone who um, is following these principles, and in fact, who was inspired by that particular book. So when the time came, we did a limited edition book on the Kingswood, and it was the story of the creation, kind of like the story of the movie, the creation of the Kingswood, because it, it was so, so beyond complicated and challenging. I, I knew it was going to be complicated. I had no idea it would be as complicated as it was, but you get started and you can't stop. Now you're pregnant, so to speak, and there's no going back. So I saved the first edition of the book to give to him hardcover version. And, uh, and, and that was one of my uh, dreams, let's say, is to get it to him. And I never did. You know, it had always kind of weighed heavily, you know, where you have a plan and, you know, and you, you didn't follow through. So anyways, about five years later, he comes to town, Prince Charles, and, and I received an invitation to meet him. It was a small group. It was like one of those things you look up, you know, why me? And there were maybe a half a dozen of us. I was there with my wife and, you know, and uh, here was the opportunity to um, say hello to him. And so, you know, I see him, he's approaching our little group and I'm starting to sweat, you know, like, okay, what am I going to say? And, you know, you got 30 seconds of, uh, you know, time. It's going to mean everything to you and nothing to him probably. And so he reaches me and I, I just said, you know, your Royal Highness, you know, I went to school in England. I, I read your, and I was inspired. I read your book, A Vision of Britain, and I was really inspired by it to create a project that followed its principles. And he paused, he looked at me, and he said, you read that? <laughs> and I said, "And I said, yes. He said, I think you were the only person. And, and, you know, we all started laughing, and there was that kind of human side of things. And so he said, uh, and I said, I, I'd saved a copy of the book. I never got it. I never sent it. He said, please send it to me. And I did. And I wrote a, you know, a nice uh, handwritten note on this very special stationery, everything about it. Even the, even the, everyone said they would never duplicate whatever they did, even the logo for the Kings with the cards at the time when people gave away cards. No one would do because it had to go through the printing press on four separate occasions, you know, by hand and everything was handcrafted. So, okay, so I send it off and okay, so I take that one off the box and forgot about it. And then uh, I'm going to say about six months later, my wife uh, came into the kitchen and, you know, with the mail 
and said, look at this. And there was a big envelope with a, with a royal seal on it. So I said, wow, that's like, okay, um, unusual. We open it up, and there is an invitation from uh, the prince to come to Buckingham Palace for dinner. And we look at each other, and you can imagine, you know, <laughs> flabbergasted. And, and we arrive at Buckingham Palace and um, approached by a couple of valets, uh, you know, in a kind of like a disarming way with another envelope presented to me with two hands and I open it up and there's a handwritten note from Prince Charles expressing his appreciation for the effort that went into the creation of the Kingswood and the respect that was shown, you know, through that uh, process to some of the principles he holds here. And we had dinner and spoke about things. And, and, and it, it just, it showed me that, you know what, if you can think it, if you can imagine it, maybe it can happen. I mean, that was beyond any sort of dream. I just wanted to get the book to him and say, thank you. I mean, I never imagined that uh, would lead to anything beyond that, but, I think the metaphor, if that's the right word, uh, for that kind of, I'm going to say, extraordinary experience is that, you know, if you are true to yourself, if you follow through with that dream that you might have, whatever it is, extraordinary things can happen. Uh, I mean, outside of the fact that you feel good about the job, the mission that you had, you know, a job well done. There's a, you know, my, my, I'll tell you what my new definition of happiness is. You know, we, we've all got these, including me, these complicated things that we need to be happy. We end up making these long lists, right? If I do this, 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 and that, I'll be happy. And I go through it and you tick them off and you say, well, I still don't feel happy. Like, what is it? Do I have to do a few more? And then I realized that, you know, again, it doesn't have to be this big thing. I think the word that comes to my mind now is progress. And when I realized, you know, I realized that the other day when I finally learned how to air print, I didn't know you could take your phone and, and print something from your phone. And so I, I learned how to air print something it like changed my day. I taught my wife and, uh, you know, and there was like that, <laughs> that simple joy of being able to do something that added some convenience. It was a little thing. And I realized that like any step in the right direction, any step forward leads to joy. And maybe it doesn't have to be a lot more complicated than that. But when it does get more complicated, life throws a bunch of stuff at you as it does for for all of us, I mean, if I go back to the Courage Awards, which I spoke about the days before the pandemic, this was the largest event. There'd be an annual dinner, 1,800 people, maybe the largest event in Canada on an annual basis that would raise millions of dollars every year for, for mental health. So we're all sitting on the edge of our seats. You hear a pin drop in an uncommon way. You go to a lot of events. Most people aren't really paying attention, but at Courage, while sitting on the edge of our seats, you hear a pin drop because we're all listening to these stories of extraordinary adversity and people who have come back 
courage to come back. And I think we're all saying the same thing. You know, how do they do it? And if they can do it with such limited resources, what can we do with what we have? What must we do with what we have? You know, so those individuals, for some reason, I think they're, you know, modern day messengers, I think in some ways kind of like, you know, sent to us somehow who go through the suffering in life so that we can learn. There are people like that. There are situations like that. I think that's where the real growth goes in our life. So if I apply that to real estate, the Kingswood is the most, was the most complicated development you could possibly do. You do one of those, you get your PhD in development (laughs) because you cover every single thing. And like I said, everyone said it can't be done. The curved glass, it can't be done. The radius of the curved glass at 11 foot six, you know, they said, yeah, we have to do this in six sections. Well, I want to do it in one. Okay, we'll settle it too, you know, but, and then people figure it out because most of us, most of us just want to take the line of least resistance in life because it's easier, but, but there's, listen, the stuff that's easy in life isn't what makes us grow. The stuff that we get on a silver platter doesn't do anything for us. I mean, think about it. You're going to impress someone by, by saying someone just, uh, you know, you just won the lottery. I mean, that's, nice. It's a bit easy. I'm not sure how many people are really going to be happy, but you know, when you struggled to get somewhere or to accomplish something to build your business that you guys have done, you know, do this podcast, which is a lot of effort and time consuming, you're trying to add value, which is smart to people's lives. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what anyone in in my business is trying to do. That's what anyone should be trying to do who's in business at all, creating a product. I think you have to, you have to give to get, you know, most of the time, you know, like in the old networking days, you know, like, you know, you, you, you say, Oh my God, like, you know, you see a room of 50 people. What am I going to do? I don't know what to say. I don't know anyone. And it's always like, what can I get from that person? But when you turn that around and you say, instead, let me figure out what I can give. You know, someone gives you a card, you read it. Oh, really? You work for this company? Well, I happen to know this person. I'd like to introduce you to them. And all of a sudden, you you turn things around from what can I get from you to what can I give you? Life changes. It's the same thing to a to a, a consumer, a purchaser of, of real estate. I mean, if you're in it for the long term, you try and uh, create something that will have some enduring value where someone will say, wow, you know, they did a little bit more than a little bit less. You make, you know, less of a profit, but you sleep at night. You know, we're introducing things, you know, like acoustical insulation that people don't normally do because, you know, you don't want to hear the complaints, you know, it costs more to do it. So it impacts the bottom line, but it's part of, you know, you give some more, maybe, you know, it should be good for business. 
that was probably a, a long-winded answer. I'm not sure if I actually answered your question. I got no, off of the no, Well, no, I think you answered the question and then a lot more than that. That's that's kind of an, an amazing... You know, it's a good answer when uh, you cover Matt's follow-up questions yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, I was like, I, I've just crossed <laughs> off the 10 follow-ups. But uh, no, I did have a follow-up <laughs> for you, Lauren. You know, I'm just thinking of the, the kind of story here where you're from Vancouver... You, you mm. go to Oxford, you read Vision of Britain, and you come back to Vancouver in the 90s when it was kind of being established as a city of glass, you know, the condos downtown and things. And you do the Kingswood, yeah. which is is a very, as everyone knows, is a very unique and, and different product or aspiration. I'm just wondering, like, for the people out there that are listening that are trying to build something right now, whether it's a business or anything mm. else... When you conceived of that project, did you always yeah. think this is a project for Vancouver? And in terms of risk mitigation, because you were doing something so different than everybody else was doing, like, how did you, how did you tackle that? Okay, it's a good question. And uh, the simple answer is, no, I did not have all the answers. And it was in this um, realm of, Believing in what you're doing, sometimes you just don't have all the answers. And again, you can be a follower, you can be a leader. You have to decide in life how you want to define your life. Do you want to do, for example, let's say in the development business, a whole bunch of mediocre things and make a buck? Or do you want to maybe focus on things that are going to be harder more exclusive, maybe fewer of them, because they're more fulfilling. And I think that, and sometimes you don't have all the answers, and, and people will change jobs. It takes some courage. We're talking about courage, not just to develop when you are, let's call it the first, and you are pioneering. And the Kingswood was ahead of its time because there wasn't a precedent. But did that mean that there weren't you know, the number of people that you needed who would think the same way as you. You have to ask yourself, are you the only one who believes that there is a need for people, in the case of the Kingswood, who might be moving from a uh, a nice home in Shaughnessy because it's in that neighborhood, it's in Shaughnessy, who would say, I don't want to go downtown. I don't want to live in a glass tower. Uh, I, I don't want to be in a building with a hundred suites. I want to be in something small scale that it's kind of living like at the four seasons that is the ultimate quality at that time and is just well executed. These things are hard to do. Sometimes the reason things don't happen in life is not because there's no demand, but because they're hard to do and they require a concerted effort, a belief in something. And, and you know, Sometimes people say life is too short. That's not how I want to live my life. That's not how I want to invest my time. But that's not how I think. And so it's uh, listen. It, it makes for a more um, stressful life. But if you're trying to do something special, and again, let's look at Redbridge at the other end of the continuum, or the Kingswood. You know, at at you know the high end of the continuum. They're complicated, but it's a conscious decision as to as to what you want to do with your life. But you can't, you know, it it it's never 
smooth sailing. You can't kind of achieve the ultimate in anything without going through the, I'm going to say, brain damage that that goes along with doing something special because it's the pyramid of life, right? You know, the... It's, as they say, lonely at the top, but there's lots of room at the top. If you choose, that's how you want to live your life. So you put the effort in, you get the result. That's the way it should work in life. If it's too easy, the reward shouldn't really be there. Sometimes you get lucky, okay? That's the lottery. But for the most part, what you put in is what you get out. And if you want to get a lot out of life, you got to put a lot in and you have to take some risks. I mean, even exercising, it's not easy, might be fun, but it's not like it's a piece of cake. If you want to get into better shape, it's still a commitment. Hopefully you get to the point where it's not torture every day, but it's, uh, it's something you enjoy. I'm not there yet myself. I'm working on that. Uh, uh, you know, on that end of things. So I'm I'm speaking from experience. Now. I'm not at the joy point yet, but um, I hope to get there because I believe I can't imagine that everyone's exercising every day as most people do. And they're doing it because they're so disciplined. There has to be a level of joy. So you pay the price, you invest until it becomes, you know, it's that tipping point in life. I've, I've often wondered, why is it? that we will not do what is good for us, that is good for others, and is good for the greater good. Why is it that we don't do these things? And I'm pointing a finger at myself as well. You know, we know what's good for us. We know what's good for others. We know what's good for the greater good, and we don't do it. I am like a mist at that kind of thing. But I think, you know, after some reflection, I realized that there's a... um you know, there's that balance in life. You know, you got pain at one end and you got pleasure at the other end. And there's this point where, you know, we'll do whatever we can to uh, avoid pain and maximize pleasure. But then you reach that point, you know, like I remember when I was a kid, it's, you know, at school where we've all experienced this, right? You know, you're not studying, you're not studying the exams the next day. Oh my God. Then you got to pull the all nighter because the pain of failing outweighs the joy of avoidance, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so we, we act when that balance, when that point, when it becomes more painful to avoid, I guess what we're talking about here is procrastination, really, you know, the, the joy of procrastination at some point, it reaches a point where the, the pain of procrastination outweighs the joy. And then you say, okay, I got to make a choice here, you know? So, um, I better get into action. So if we could all figure out how to not get to that point, how to actually anticipate a little bit. And I think this process of anticipation, I'm going to say um, too, that I think my approach to business and I think to life is one of uh, kind of like a chess game. You know, you can, you can, you can strive to be, let's say a decent chess player and think one move ahead. Or you can look at life and try and be a a grandmaster and think, you know, seven or eight or more steps ahead. But the process is one of anticipation. And I spend a lot of time kind of saying to myself or asking myself, if this, then what? If, you know, and, and looking at the, 
the steps, trying to think ahead of the repercussions instead of just looking, you know, just past the end of your nose a little bit further, or in some cases, well, a lot further. And I think there's another way to sort of um, uh, distinguish uh, yourself, your business uh, from others, and that is through that level of anticipatory thinking. It can be uh, painful sometimes, really, because, you know, you can find yourself thinking maybe a little uh, or maybe overthinking, but not not necessarily. I like to anticipate problems. So I'm, with real estate, I'm already like when we're doing these projects, I'm I'm meeting the purchaser at the door, and I'm like a fly on the wall, imagining what it will be like when they open up the door and they walk in after seeing the display center and all the stuff. Is the reaction going to be? It's even better than I thought, or is it going to be, oh, my God, what happened? I thought there was this, or I thought there was that. So I'm like, I'm greeting the consumer, hoping they're going to, you know, shake my hand and and say uh, thank you for this uh, uh, gift, and this is the best money we've ever spent because we're going to, uh, you know, raise a family here. I've got it tell you, like, in an uncommon way, I'm going to go back to Redbridge for a, for a moment, I would get letters from people that I didn't know. We're trying to go through this process, trying to figure out, because the response to Redbridge was so unexpected, because you expect to do well, but you don't expect, you know, to essentially sell several hundred suites within a number of days and then you know you're anticipating one building and then you got to scramble to do the next disclosure statement but i would get we were trying to figure out a system that would give everyone the opportunity because the demand was so overwhelming it was really hard wanted to have something very democratic you know no favoritism that kind of thing but i would get letters from people that i didn't know saying you know i've i've tried to to get a, a ticket, let's say, to have the opportunity to buy something at Redbridge, and, and I can't get in. My realtor's trying, and, you know, because it was just like, you know, we'd open the lines, and as fast as you could sort of input your name, whoever had the fastest computer seemed to win at the process. So I'd get letters from people saying, you know what, I'm a young guy. I'm not asking for any favors. I'm not asking for a discount. We've looked at Squamish, that's where I want to raise a family. I'm a young fireman. I'm living in, you know, I think it was West Vancouver renting at the time. We want to raise our family in Squamish and not just in Squamish, but at Redbridge. And then he'd go through the story, uh, kind of the story of his life and why he felt that he was like an application for, for school or something, you know, and you, you couldn't but read that and, you know, your heart goes out and you say, wow, this is how someone feels about something that, you know, uh, you're creating that could actually impact their life, change their life. They want to raise a family to that kind of thing. I got, uh, you know, a dozen letters like that from people, you know, sort of um, looking for an offer, a, a way to be part of the Redbridge community. That's uncommon in my experience to have people that emotional. Now, that doesn't just happen. That is part of that kind of very deliberate anticipatory uh, thinking as to what is that value proposition 
that is going to compel people to say, not just I want to live there, but that's, you know, I, I must. Uh, if I could be anywhere, that's where I want to be. That's what you want to achieve in life. It's not automatic. But if you try and get all those elements, we go back to the cake again, right? You have that visceral, that potential for something to be emotionally attractive, which is what real estate should be. It not It isn't always there, but that's what we're trying to achieve in the project's that we're doing, whether it's the Kingswood or Redbridge or 1515, or now, you know, the Heatherwick um, building that we're planning. We're just trying to do some special things and create a product that is not just kind of the best in its class, but maybe amongst the best in the world. That's the goal. That's a conscious decision. It's not the easiest way to make a buck, I'm, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Um, it's really, these are very long time consuming, complicated projects and you have to get it all right. And that means that, you know, someone is having to make some very key decisions because you can't just pass it on, let's say to an architect and and say, do something nice because their focus is on different things. Of course, we want it to be, it starts with, is it a beautiful thing? Do I want to live there like a car? Do I like the shape of the car? And you start analyzing the engine and the interior and all the rest of the stuff. So that's where, you know, the team approach becomes important. You have your own carefully considered thoughts and then you temper them and you ask questions and you, you, I mean, I would say to the team, uh, in this case, Redbridge at MLA, it's, I'm going to give you what I believe is your wish list. Just tell me. If it were if it were you, you know, at Oakland, give me your wish list. What do you want to go to the public with? And and I'm gonna give it to you because I don't want you to say ever, if you only did this or if you only did that, we might have been able to do something that they weren't able to do, because that's human nature. You wanna say, gee, it's not me, it's the product. So if you can remove, let's call it the obstacles, and then it comes down to marketing. Now, okay, you've got all the uh, ingredients, all the ammunition, now go and do what you do best. Yeah, that's what we try and do to the best of our ability, and that takes effort and uh, a lot of uh, deliberate, conscious thought based on, um, you know, you have to kind of believe understand your market too. I mean, you can have very deliberate thought, but it could be in the wrong direction. So, you know, this is with the uh, understanding that you're on the right track and you do understand what the market, even if it, if it doesn't exist, what that market, if we go back to the Kingswood, would be looking for. The fact that it didn't exist, does that mean that it shouldn't happen? You could apply that to anything in life. And that goes back to, again, this idea of uh, pioneering. Easier to be number two than number one, but being number one does have its risks. But in the end, uh, you know, it, it hasn't hurt to be that pioneer so far. And it's led to Buckingham Palace in, in, one, in one case. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes, sometimes things happen that you just can't even 
imagine. Most of the time you can sort of, uh, you know where you're going or you know where you want to go and you know how to get there or, or you think you know how to get there. And then sometimes uh, stuff stuff happens that you couldn't even anticipate, uh, both negative and positive. Fortunately, the positive outweighs, uh, has outweighed the negative uh, so far. Well, Lauren, maybe as a, as a final question here, I'm just thinking about kind of mm. the idea that the chess analogy and, and anticipatory thinking and, and mm. thinking about your career, not only in kind of creating something very unique, successfully creating something very unique uh, with Kingswood, but then also being kind of ahead of the curve in, in Squamish, obviously. You have a deep relationship with the city. You're a very successful creator. In the last two years, I think people's idea of downtown Vancouver has has changed, you know, not fundamentally, but but it's been a tough couple of years. And and I know you're we know you're very active in downtown Vancouver. What in your mind does does the core of the city look like moving forward? And are, are you are you bullish on kind of a return to pre-COVID downtown or or something different? Or what are your thoughts on downtown Vancouver? Well, Okay, here we are uh, pioneering again on some of the projects that uh, we're uh, we're doing uh, in partnership, uh, in particular with uh, Boza in this case, in the in the case of fifteen fifteen. So everyone's uh, has been uh, the last few years has been difficult. There hasn't been much or anything actually happening at the um, uh, high end of the market in Vancouver. And so, fifteen fifteen, for example, which we're doing, very another. Uh, I'm going to say is the um, modern day Kingswood. The Kingswood twenty years later. You kind of, uh, you know, you've invested that time and energy into uh, creating something special, and you can't do a building like the Kingswood every year or even every few years. In fact, it's taken twenty years to get to the point where you find a, a location and an opportunity and you hope the timing to do something uh, special again that will rank uh, not just uh, as perhaps uh, the finest building in the city with respect to what others are doing, uh, but perhaps one of the next generation of uh, great buildings uh, in the world. So it takes, again, some courage of conviction. So we launched 1515, and it has been a great success. And we are well ahead of schedule. It's been about a month now, and uh, we're very happy with the way that is uh, progressing without a very hard marketing campaign, because we've created a building that is very unique again. And you don't have to appeal to everyone with everything in life. You just have to be able to appeal to enough people. And in this case, we've done, you know, we've involved an architect, Oli Sheeran, who has not done anything in uh, North America. Uh, One of the, uh, I mean, he's a superstar, young guy, next generation of architects who's reinterpreted what it means to be a high rise, a skyscraper. Normally you have a building that's has two points, point A and point B, bottom and the top. And so he's actually reinterpreted that and he's created some horizontal living. So if you've uh, seen which uh, you might have, what that building looks like, you have parts of the building that are unfolding, which we call observatories. 
there are 18 of them, to create horizontal living, three-dimensional living with glass on those components on three sides. Very unusual, folding out, and you literally are floating in space. So what I'm saying is that if you do something, if it's the same old thing in a challenging market during difficult times, a pandemic, and other uncertainties, then you probably can expect some kind of, you know, maybe a mediocre response. But if you do something that can strike a chord that is unique, <clears throat> that will appeal to a particular market uh, that can afford it, and there are some people in life that will say, is something good enough? And there are a lot of people who will say, how do I spend my hard-earned money? What do I want to do with it? So we talk about Vancouver and that particular project. I, I think there is, uh, well, we are taking the lead role again with 1515 in terms of the development of some very special buildings. There are uh, probably half a dozen others waiting to see what is happening there so that they can get going. And so we're taking this first step and things are moving in the right direction and we will be starting construction on that soon because the sales have progressed well enough. So what does that mean? I don't think that you can have a successful building like that and believe that, you know, the downtown or Vancouver itself is not going to uh, prosper. It's Vancouver. You've got one of the greatest cities in the world. Let's look at things from an international perspective, not just locally. We've been through this difficult period of time. I think people are reevaluating what's important. So you've got a big world out there that's saying, where do I go? What do I do? You know, you've got a, a safe political environment. You've got a beautiful city. You've got a healthy atmosphere. All the ingredients are there for Vancouver to prosper. So this has been a setback as it has been anywhere. But I think that given the choices people have to where to live, Vancouver will always have a prominent place, uh, the, the core of Vancouver, a prominent place in the, in the world. And I think now more so than ever, especially given the, the uh, value as a, as a place to live, if you're looking at life as not just where can I make a living, but where can I make a life? Right. It has those ingredients in spades. And uh, that's why we are uh, taking the approach that we're taking with the product that we're doing in the core of downtown. It's with a belief that uh, this is a place to be. If you're going to live in a city, this is the greatest city anywhere to, to be in, whether it's uh, from a local perspective or an international perspective. I think we're going to come back and uh, and come back strong. Fantastic. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there, Lauren. What an inspiring and thought-provoking conversation. And I know we've taken more of your time than I think we said we would, so we, we really appreciate it. I have to say, Lauren, if you're looking for something to do, I think you got to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly think you could kind of take... There's so many things here that, yeah, it would make an incredible Not that you book. don't have your hands full. No, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, I, I was, I was going to say the same thing to you, you know? 
you've got you're talking to all of these uh, very interesting uh, people uh, hope that uh, this conversation ranks in there as well but uh, you could uh, compile all of that stuff yourself and make that available because you're uh, you're doing a great service and I I do appreciate the time. I was more concerned about your time and how you put these pieces together. And of course, you know, you're, uh, uh, when this ends, gentlemen, I'll be saying, okay, I should have said this. I should have said that. And I missed that. And I didn't answer your question. And I'm going to be beating myself up because that's what I do. That's, that's what I do to myself. <laughs> you know, well, well, there, if you have the time for, there can always be a part two, Lauren, because <laughs> <laughs> we definitely have the time for you. So, how can people find out more about what you're up to and, and obviously Kingswood Properties? Yeah, we have an Instagram. Uh, there's the website. I think uh, that's how people find out uh, these things. Uh, hopefully, got a beautiful display center in Squamish. If anyone hasn't been to Squamish, uh, that would be a, a very nice experience is to see uh, quite an extraordinary uh, center, visit Squamish, maybe... Uh, Hike uh, the chief that's in the backyard of uh, Red Bridge or the Smoke Bluffs, and uh, be wonderful for the two of you to uh, visit it uh, as well. Absolutely, yeah, and we'll we'll have links in our show notes as well to the uh, to the Kingswood website and uh, Instagram and everything as well, so you can check it out there. So thanks again so much, Lauren, for your time today, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Different takeaways than I was expecting, but uh, kind of more profound, which is always uh, exciting. You know, the fun stuff I'm going to say, I think, in life is figuring out how you get there, how to do things, not just what is it, but what did it take to get there? I think that's what I hope comes through today. That's what is, you know, perhaps more interesting for me to talk about, there is the bricks and mortar, but it's more the process, I think, of how you get there that is the one thing that uh, perhaps would distinguish uh, the way uh, Kingswood and myself personally like to look at things and hopefully how the product distinguishes itself from uh, other things because of this uh, kind of anticipatory thinking and uh, problem solving that goes in uh, ahead of time instead of, uh, you know, the sort of oops after the fact, we should have done this or that. One of the worst things in life, I believe, one of the most painful things for me, and I think maybe in general, is uh, I'm going to say regret. You know, it's one thing when you consciously decide to do this or do that or not do it. You're at peace. You, you you pass a deal, you missed it, maybe maybe it would have been good, but it was a conscious decision you made at the time. But it's when we have control over things and we don't follow through, that starts to lead to regret. Or, you know, you fast forward, you're doing that rocking chair test at the end of, you know, life. You're looking back, you know, I do that sometimes. I fast forward. To that rocking chair and I'm saying I don't want to be rocking back and forth looking back at my life and saying you know I could have should have done this or that and didn't do it when I could have uh, you know that would be in my opinion really painful maybe unbearable I don't want to 
I don't want to experience too much regret in my life, which is why I guess maybe this concept of um, thinking forward is so important to me. Uh, maybe it's also uh, leading to some good things, but also saving some pain, you know. Wow. Well, what a note to leave it on. Very thoughtful stuff. Thanks again, Lauren. That was a great conversation. And uh, I will have to have you back if you ever have the time. Thanks for taking the time. Really enjoyed the opportunity. Admire what you guys are doing. Uh, really is providing a wonderful service to the community. Hopefully this is adding uh, something to your uh, repertoire. I would look forward to meeting you uh, in person. Certainly uh, let me, uh, if you have any questions yourselves, I'd love to, for you to be part of some of the things that we're doing. We've got another uh, exciting phase coming also Redbridge and Oakwind has been a big part of uh, what we've done so far, we've got a very exciting uh, next phase uh, that's going to take it to even another level. Be wonderful to um, have you guys plugged in in the early stages, especially uh, now we've gotten to know each other a little bit here. And uh, let me congratulate you again on on the initiative you've taken here to uh, bring this kind of information to the public and and uh, for. Uh, exposing me to uh, Romana uh, who might change my, <laughs> might change my life. I'm, I'm excited to look into these concepts. Really. <laughs> I'm serious uh, too. Full circle. Full, full circle. circle. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, well no, I right, hugely gentlemen. appreciate that. Well, have, have a great day, Lauren. And, uh, We'd love to have you back and we'll definitely be in touch and, and hopefully take you up on that. <laughs> Thanks gentlemen. Really appreciate it. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Lauren Siegel from Kingswood Properties. Really enjoyed that conversation with Lauren, Matt. And uh, I don't think I oversold that story. I think a lot of people out there are probably going, that's a that's a pretty incredible story. I also story. don't think, I was thinking about it. I think I said something to the effect of he should write a book. And I truly do feel like there's a holistic kind of component to that conversation that totally. you actually, there's some, it felt like a book to me and I'm not overselling it. I, I really feel like it's, uh, there's layers of meaning. I, Let's I put it can, that way. I can promise you that uh, I'm going to be hearing from some people in the VREP community about about this episode specifically. I, I do feel that way. And I should say also that just uh, mentioning to a couple of people that we had Lauren on the program, the feedback was twofold. One is people bring up the Kingswood just at what a level of building and construction. Everybody knows about it, how sophisticated of a build it is. And then the second thing is that everybody basically says, oh, I love Lorne. Like that guy's just a great guy. So it's like, he's a he's a jewel definitely in the development community and uh, anyone that knows him loves him. So that's, uh, that's fantastic having him on the program. Absolutely, great having him on. And I feel like in our excitement here, we maybe buried the lead a little bit, but it's a bit of a nothing burger at this point. Bank of Canada, I think everybody was expecting rates. That was rates. this morning. Yeah, everybody was expecting rates to go up this morning. I think the over-under on that was at least 70% chance uh, yeah. that it was going up a quarter point. They left bet? it. I, I, well, uh, yeah, you, my variable rate. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. But a lot uh, of people did. But yeah, you know what? They left the rates unchanged, the overnight rate unchanged. So what does that mean? I think it means uh, in March, six weeks from now, it's going up for sure. But who knows? Everybody thought it was going up today. But business as usual for the time being. 
It's an interesting thing to be monitoring right now. Everybody's got an opinion, but yeah, I think uh, check back. Surprising. I think a lot of people were kind of surprised today, but yeah, we'll see. And uh, guess where? Guess who's going to keep you posted? Vancouver Real Estate Podcast is going to keep you posted. And that's who? VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com is the best place to find out more. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, our website where all things real estate related live including our back catalog of over 300 episodes. We have the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast there. We have the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer with stats before anyone else, different types of stats, deal of the month, VIP access for pre-construction projects. This is commercial pre-construction. This is residential pre-construction. What else do we got? The Livewire, there's just no stats, reason. everything, yeah. Yeah, no reason you shouldn't be on that list. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's absolutely the best way to research and look for real estate in Vancouver. This is a free account that you can set up to monitor the market or to see new listings in the city. Go to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, create your own free account, and uh, you can sign up on the website. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? Get in touch with me at any point, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And Matt, before we cut for the day, I just want to say, I've just actually finished reviewing the numbers for 2021. I just finished reviewing the Arizona Cardinals 2015 season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, this is this Who's is driving more, this. Thing? This is more important. I've just re reviewed the numbers for 2021 for the VRAV community, and the community has grown substantially. So there's a lot of you that have been here since day one. There's a lot of people that have come on, joined recently, started listening recently, That's recently right. that have reached out. So we appreciate you all, and uh, we definitely appreciate everyone sharing the podcast with uh, family or friends that might be interested. So reviewing um, the podcast. Well, this is the thing. If on you want Instagram, if, on if, other uh, social media channels. Yes, exactly. If you want to help us grow this year, the number one thing you can do is share the podcast with your sphere. What else you can do? Send us either a message, reach out, or of course, review us on Google or on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast. And last but not least, continue listening yourself. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> Smash that subscribe. Is that what subscribe. the kids say? <laughs> All right. Have a good week, and uh, we'll be back next week as always. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.